Hello there, and welcome to episode one of our new podcast. I'm Palm in London. And I'm Andy, a Brit lost in Barcelona. And we are Chrono Passion 7. So Palm, what does the 7 actually signify? Well, we need a bit of luck as we dive into this saturated market of watch nerdery. So the 7 is just simply for luck. Anyway, Andy... Let the listeners know what we're all about then. You've already mentioned it, watch nerdery. That's 100% who we are. Watch enthusiasts, so we never proclaim to be watch experts. And we're on a journey to learn something new every day about this fascinating industry. It's something we love deeply, and we really want to share that with all our valued listeners today. The more episodes we do, the more and more we'll be sharing with you. So hang in there. We're all going on this journey together. Another key thing about us, is we have a saying and that saying is make the rules so what does that mean the manufacturers make the rules you our valued enthusiasts and listeners you make the rules for the watches you wear so if you want to wear a 26 mil rolex and you're a seven foot tall man i'm not going to judge you probably because you're seven foot as well that aside you wear what makes you happy not what makes other people happy spot on i couldn't have put that better myself so palm maybe first Our listeners want to know what kind of collectors we are. I know you have a really interesting collection, so let's start with you. Well, what kind of collector am I? I feel safe in modern watches. I don't go vintage. I appreciate vintage, but I like modern iterations of watches. My favorite brands are Rolex, not for the wrong reasons, only for the right reasons. I love the heritage of the brand. Omega, Breitling, Cartier, Bulgari, Vacheron, Constantin, you name it. I pretty much have a passion for the brand or some of the watches the brand make. But again, modern would be what I would feel safe investing my money in, would be a bit more reliable and I'd feel a bit safer with it. And Andy, you are the complete opposite of me. And I think, can you let our listeners know how you got into the the whole vintage game, you know, where hands fall off your watch and many, many other weird and wonderful things happen to a watch inexplicably due to its age. Definitely. So I'm, I'm on the flip side to yourself, right? I, I love old watches. I don't know why. Maybe it's the charm. Maybe it's the story. You know, sometimes I look at these pieces and I look at them and think to myself, if they could speak, you know, what would they tell me? What journey have they been on? And that's something what excites me about vintage watches. Yes, it's like buying an old car. They're unreliable. They break down a lot, but they have a charm. They have a character of just what modern don't quite have. However, there's one thing I'll say. Modern pieces, you wear and you give them that charm. You give them that story and you give them that character. So I'm not taking that away from modern pieces. That is something I need to do in the future as well. It's just right now, that's my journey. That's my stage of the journey. That's where I am. Yep, I can certainly vouch for that. And he is... At the vintage stage of his journey, put that in quotations and underline it. Because at the moment, I mean, he's looking at vintage watches all the time. He's getting a new watch every couple of weeks. Not buying, adding to the collection. Obviously, he's moving them on. He's not, you know, hoarding like crazy. But vintage is definitely where Andy is right now. A question I've always wanted to ask you, Andy, again, because I know how much you're always looking at new watches and how much you appreciate the vintage watches. If you had to choose one watch as your favorite vintage model, not piece, not year, not anything, just which model would that be? So that's a great question. And if I have to be honest, I absolutely adore Cartier. 
I'm wrapped up in the romance of the brand, the history, the rich history of that brand. And the Cartier crash just really speaks to me. And I can appreciate many listeners right now thinking, why the crash? Maybe some of you remember the older soft watches, which were about, and you know, they look very similar to the crash and they cost around 500 to 2000 euros. So why a crash? What's going to cost 35, 50, 60,000? Look, let's be honest. I'm very clear. That's not a piece I can actually buy, but it's a grail, right? And it's a piece what I really, really appreciate. It's just the artistry, the shape and the charm, what that watch has, and also the stories and the rumors the mystery, what goes around that watch. So for me, number one has to be the Cartier crash. Number two, we stick with Cartier as well. So you can kind of see what kind of uh, collector I am. It has to be the Cartier Tortue, monoposher. I love monoposhers. I'm fascinated with that function. I love how they managed to just put everything on one little pusher to do so many operations, the flyback feature. I, I just find them fascinating and charming. And that's another piece which I really like. That's enough about me. Pam, I'm going to fire that question straight back at you. Let me know what's your favorite. What's your number one? Ooh, okay. So mine, being the modern watch guy, actually can be considered an icon in the vintage space as well. So my favorite watch is the Rolex Daytona in its modern iteration. I mean, I'd love to own a vintage one, but come on, I don't have $17.8 million to buy that Paul Newman Daytona. So basically, I like the design. I think the one thing that is most prominent is the balanced design, the way it sits on your wrist. The modern iteration is 40 mil. I believe the previous older vintage ones were 38 or maybe even smaller. But the way it sits on your wrist, the dimensions are perfect, I believe. It gives you that feel-good feeling as well. Not just wearing the watch because it's a Daytona, but because of the way it's designed and its layout and its size and its structure. Also, its history and tradition relating to motorsports. The race Daytona the, the, in Florida, you know, it's it's iconic. The new Le Mans that's come out, it's again, motorsport. The chronograph, it's, it's a motorsport-specific watch. Its most iconic owner, Paul Newman, had the Rolex Daytona. His wife bought him one as a good luck charm because he took up the dangerous sport of motor racing. So that is a story that not many watches can tell. And again, one of the, the things, I'm always a, a big one on the underdog and nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted that watch. It was a complete turnaround in popularity. It was given away in deals and you know with other watches by Rolex and by Rolex dealers and now it's one of the if not the most sought after Rolexes in their catalogue what a turnaround it's just again something I love but I'll tell you what I wouldn't love would be a plastic Daytona which nicely leads me into our next topic the Swatch X Blancpain 50 Fathoms what are your thoughts on this whole Swatch X phenomenon it's one thing I want to touch on just before we get into the Swatch topic and I, I just want to confirm to our listeners that there's no flexing on uh, palm side with a daytona you know appreciation uh, as you clearly see right it's for for the love for the passion for the history the heritage of that piece and i think that's what separates us enthusiasts with you know the common flexors so i'd just like to put that in there because i think that's important to acknowledge and i know many of our listeners and all of our listeners are certainly the enthusiasts so what do i think about the new Swatch collaboration, I think first we need to rewind. Let's rewind to the Moon Swatch, which, you know, just broke the internet, let's be honest. It was a, a phenomenon and a crazy, crazy event. I remember, you know, I'm here in Barcelona. I was speaking with fellow collectors here and we were talking about 
it looks really cool. Me personally, I always appreciated and liked the Amiga Alaska project. And some of you might be thinking, why do you like that watch? It's got a huge big case, but that big case is removable, right? The What I loved about the Alaska project was that crisp white dial and those red sub-dial hands. I just thought it was so cool. And it used to be relatively obtainable. I mean, it just went absolutely, you know, it went to the moon, no pun intended, right? So when I saw the, the mission to Mars moon swatch and I saw it had a nice nod to the Alaska project, I was up for it. I was like, that's probably the closest I can get to that piece. And it's extremely affordable. I'll enjoy looking at that. It's a little nod to watch what I really appreciate and like. And, you know, long story short, we planned to go and then through the grapevine, I heard from fellow collectors that basically some kind of organized crime groups running these lines. Basically, you're not joining here. You're not allowed to go in this section. You're controlling some kind of made up list. And it's just, I'm not interested in that crowd, right? I'm, I'm in it for the love. I don't want to be involved or around those people. So I was planning to wake up at three in the morning to go join that queue. I went straight back to bed and forgot about it. And to this day, unfortunately, it's still the same case. It, it kind of tainted that experience for me knowing that. And I think it's such a shame because I do think what they're doing is absolutely brilliant, but it gets tainted by the wrong people getting wrapped up in that. One thing what I will say is it's a stroke of genius in marketing. It's a plastic business card. Think how much it would cost to do a global advertisement campaign. They're basically getting the prototype of that watch. You know, not the prototype, maybe that's a wrong word, but you're getting a sample, a plastic sample of what the real deal could look like on so many people's wrists. And I think that's a masterclass stroke. Uh, so I'll bounce the question back. I'd, I'd like to hear you, your opinion, Pam. I'd like to know what, what stands out to you with the 50 Fathoms. With the 50 Fathoms, the new scuba. When I first saw it, I thought, mm, not that impressed. But the marketing machine does get you in the end. Social media does get you in the end. It's thrown down. It is rammed down your throat, thrown in your face. It is everywhere. You look if you're a watch enthusiast. So now I'm kind of warming to the idea. Whether I queue up to get one, I'm not sure. I've been in a few Moonswatch queues. I'm not sure. I mean, and to no avail. I mean, I, I did get a Moonswatch once, which actually someone got for me when they were on holiday in Vegas, but I didn't want success in the queue. So I'm not looking forward to doing anything like that. I'll wait for the hype to die down. But I think it's a good idea. I like the concept. I like what they're doing because they, they are so clever with this. Blanc Pan, the 50 Fathoms, you had to be a real watch enthusiast to not just know about it, but to appreciate it and to, to want it. Now, I'm, I'm sure eight, about 90% of the people that are queuing up for these scubas haven't got a Scooby-Doo, if you pardon the pun, of what, what uh, 50 Fathoms is. All the history of the heritage of Jean-Jacques Fichter and the story of him running out of oxygen 50 meters underwater, this means nothing to them. It, it's just absolutely brainwashed uh, not uh, it has kind of brainwashed people want it and they don't know why they want it they are queuing up saying i want this watch why do you want it i don't know it's the thing to have it's that whole new hype generation at an affordable price point one thing for the 50 fathoms enthusiasts i'm not sure they're too happy about it but then again it's it's good for the brand i think it's good for the model i do believe that buying a 300 plastic sorry, buy a ceramic watch is not going to make you spend $11,000 on the real thing unless, you know, well, I just don't think it will. 
by some miracle you might do it. But uh, I think it's just two different price points, two different games. I know the Moon Swatch increased prices of the Moon Watch. The Speedmaster is half the price of the 50 Fathom. So in terms of trying to uh, bring over a crowd to the real version of the watch, I'm not sure it would work. Maybe one or two or a few, sorry, you know, a handful in percentage wise of production but um it's a great idea it makes people happy i guess they seem to the different colors the different oceans the the little gimmicky this represents the arctic ocean this represents the indian ocean that kind of adds to it like they did with the the planets in the with the moon swatch i think it's it's very well marketed marketing is the one word and probably the only word you can say is the standout for when you take a st- step back and look at what is being done here by Swatch. It's brilliant to bring brand awareness to brands that were not getting that focus. But at the end of the day, it's marketing towards Swatch, pretending to be you know a, bit, a bigger piece than it actually is. But again, like I said, I'm starting to warm to the models. I like the Arctic Ocean one, which is which has the no radiations, plural, symbol on it. Maybe because that reminds me of my old moon swatch and the the beige and the orange vibes are are very similar i do like that one i like the antarctic the gray and the white that's probably the coolest one you've got out there the blue i think it's a bit too obvious i I do think when you look at the blue one everyone wants the blue one daniel craig wore the blue moon swatch the blue came off and it's all blue 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 you know the, the blue one's the good one i'm not that convinced myself i think again it is too obvious and again, maybe because when I was a young man, uh, which was many moons ago, I had a Tagoya Formula One plastic quartz. I guess it was. It was a racing watch, and that was blue. So I think I made my peace with the blue. Yeah, even the green, the Indian Ocean, it's different. People don't like it, but I like, like I say, I always back the underdog. I like something that's a little bit different. And yeah, that's my take on it, basically. What do you reckon, Andy? What do you think as a, a dive? As these go 91 meters underwater, do you believe that this is a, a good idea? Do you think this can be an, the next generation of dive watch? Absolutely not, right? Let's let's be realistic. I think these are fantastic nods to a very important brand. And we don't know what's going on internally. We don't know what needs saving within Swatch's business structure. I can 100% say Swatch has been saved. By, by both of these collabs, that is a fact. Nobody cared about Swatch prior to this, really. Uh, maybe some hardcore collectors of Swatch, but mainly Swatch wasn't on the general public's radar whatsoever. And like you said earlier, it's just people lining up with no clue for what they're actually lining up for, other than Hype Beast told me to buy this. I can sell it for this much. Let's, let's be real, that's 90% of the people queuing because for 10% of the fanatics who just really want the watch. And then the rest of us are waiting for things to calm down where we can actually get these pieces for the price, what they really are worth, let's be real. But yeah, they are cool. I appreciate them for what they are. I Personally, I really like the Antarctic, you know, the, the clean, grey, crisp monotones. And I'm, I'm, I'm a bit with you on the Arctic as well. You know, I, I like that nod to uh, the historic pieces, right? The original uh, 50 Fathoms had the no radiation uh, sign. On, on the dial and that i really appreciate as i say it's a, it's a significant anniversary it's 70 years and i think it's great that it's being acknowledged and i think it's great the brand's getting the spotlight love it or hate it 
Fanatics collectors might get a little hurt short term, but really, if it's saving the brand, if it's putting attention on the brand, what deserves it, you know, I'm I'm cool with it. Overall, I think it's pretty harmless. I think what they're doing is just masterclass in marketing. How long can they keep this up for? Is a whole other topic, maybe for another time, right? But I will recircle to you on your your tag. So. Do you think at the time, you know, I remember the Formula Ones and I'll touch on it a little bit myself, but I, I remember I had a, a next door neighbor, I was quite young at the time, and he came round and I think he had quite wealthy parents, you know, and okay, cool. And he came round and he was only maybe 14 years old, 15 years old, and he had the, the tag Formula One. And at the time, I used to be, watch Formula One with my dad and, you know, tag was a huge sponsor. Wow, that, that's the watch. When I'm, when I'm big, when I'm grown up, that's what I'll, I'll be rocking, you know. So... Do you think at the time that was the the swatch, the the moon swatch, the you know the fifty fathoms swatch of of that period of that time? Did that draw people to proper tags as well? I think in a nutshell, no, because people were not queuing around the street to buy one. They were more accessible. The thing is, tag was such a popular cool almost urban vibes of a watch rather than um stuffy swiss you know engineering it was all it was a cool time for for tag Royer, but they had they were sponsoring formula one they were sponsoring motor racing they were they were everywhere the tennis tournaments not obviously wimbledon but they they have sponsored uh, many sporting events and it was a very very cool thing and it got taken on by that crowd as the one you'd get uh, tagoya t-shirts in the in the the, uh, the urban outfitter stores not urban outfitters the brand but in the stores that would carry those kind of clothes and i wasn't as lucky as your friend to get one at the age of 14 i, mean, I was a bit older probably 19 i was at university it was um it was a bit of a love hate at university with that because it would be like oh who do you think you are but then again it be blue people who appreciated it would be like no that's really cool you know it depends on the person if someone sometimes people don't have something they, they're not so happy someone else having it it was a good one to have it was very respected at a certain age group i would say and probably older it was just fun watches it was just a plastic watch that you wore it didn't get hated on by the mass public in that the way these are because this is hype and getting people involved, like you say, like shadier types of society that seem to be taking over, especially at initial launch. They always seem to be at the front of the queues. There was none of that then. And they weren't the kind of things that you would you know, be scared of wearing because, again, not many people would know about it. Not like, like people know now about good watches. I'm not saying a, a, a scuba would be you know make you a target on the streets but it was just you felt safe you felt good it was there was a good fun vibe to it i think this this one's a bit more serious you got it's a bit bit more show off showy look i've got the ladies i've i was the first to get it that's the thing i mean i have no idea when these formula ones came out for tagoya i just know i got one and i liked it and at the time you know when i could afford it i got it so it's two different things it's the plastic equivalent though i agree that the whole plastic vibe is the affordable entry into a luxury brand that's what that gave and that's what this is giving it's uh, it's a bit deceptive because i never really got too far into the tagoya brand after that i had an appreciation of the monaco many years later but i think maybe tag had a bit of an identity crisis after that anyway where they were producing a lot of watches some good some not so good and that really impacted 
them as a brand, which is a shame because they were good. But then I think that, that impacted sales on people wanting them going forward from that Formula One because I didn't see too many. I, was, I saw a lot of people that had them, but they weren't high-end ones. They were just a person who doesn't really know much about watches. That I've got a tag, look, and that was it. They don't know why it's good. They don't know what's so good about the model they have. They, oh, I've got a tag, and that's it. So it's similar, but dissimilar, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. But yeah, it's interesting, right? It was a different period in time. The same kind of idea, but maybe not the same desired impact. And in modern times, you've got to think there was no IG back then, there was no Facebook, no YouTubers, no influencers. So yeah, times have progressed. Crazy depths, no pun intended. I have an interesting I'll tell you what question. Yeah, I'll tell you what you had. Instead of IG and all this, you had magazines like GQ and Esquire. Those were the... You know, the, those were the Sky magazine. The, the fashion magazines were what told you what to wear back then and what was cool and hip. So I, I have a, a, a challenging question for you, Palm. I'm sorry. And I don't think you're going to like it. My question, and I think you know this is coming. We're talking, it's 70 years, right? So getting back to the blank pan, it's important, right? It's very significant. It's 70 years. So Let's move on from the swatch side of that debate. I have another debate for you here. So to my understanding, they launched their first commercial diver in 1953. I heard many different claims, like Zodiac did the same, that um, who else was there at the time? Uh, Rolex, We are, you know, his arguments are Submariner was first. And it's hard, right, to get to the bottom of this. And I'm just wondering, have you managed to? Oof, what kind of question is that? Um, have I managed to know? But I've done a bit of research on it. Because, again, one thing this further that Swatch have put out is you kind of, okay, uh, it made me, inspired me to look into the history and heritage of the 50 Fathoms a bit more. And the 1953 release, claiming to be the first commercially available dedicated dive watch uh, with the rotating bezel, depth, twin secure crown. And there is an argument that Zodiac Blancpain did it at the same show in Geneva in 1953. They released them both at the same time. Whether that's true or not, I have no idea. But that's what the rumor mill has put out there. I even spoke to Mike Pearson of Zodiac Watches and he confirmed that they the two did come out at the same show in Geneva, as did the Glycine Airman, which had the rotating bezel design released at the same time. So apparently all three of them released that. The, the, the Airman obviously clearly is not a dive watch by its name alone. The rotating bezel was also claim dispelled by that theory that the three of them released at the same time. And then Periscope, the whistleblower on the whole vintage and historical side of watches that were popular, he says that Rolex Submariner was actually the first and that Blancpain relied on patents which were confirmed and proved much later than 1953, closer to 1954. Again, he has whatever evidence he has i'm not sure i can confirm nor deny that as it's just such a tough one but there is to round up on this my favorite comment on this is by someone i respect very much and i'm sure you do too i'm not i'm not going to name them but they just said who cares it's all done for marketing people are just saying they did it first for marketing anyway so that kind of thing don't worry about it and just go out and enjoy enjoy what you're doing and i think that's uh it made me laugh and it made me think yeah you know what sometimes maybe we take this all a bit too seriously i couldn't tell you who did it and after being brought back down to earth with that comment i'm not that bothered either 
Yeah, I think I agree with that one. It's an interesting one. I think it's one what will be debated maybe long after we're, we're gone off this planet as well. I don't think, you know, it's always down to interpretation and facts and patents can be pending for many, many years. I don't really trust those facts. You can create the bias you wish to create with this kind of information. And arguably Rolex was 54 as well it, i think they state that it was prior it was not commercially available it was created before 54 but not commercially released anyway i totally agree at the end of the day who cares we love these watches if it's a submariner we love it if it's uh, 50 fathoms we love it right our zodiac super sea wolf or skin diver right doesn't matter. Exactly. The Seville Skin Diver from Zodiac, not the Super back then because they lost that name to Breitling allegedly later and then came out with the Super afterwards. And it, there's a lot of stories around it. And yeah, let, let's uh, let's not um, let's not delve too deep. We could do a show on it, but it might not really generate the, the interest. I think after we've just said what we've said. But looking at the time, I think we are done for the day and for our very first podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you so much. Remember to write in the comments what you think about everything we've spoken about today. Let us know your feedback and let us know your thoughts on this myth what will probably never be solved. And we will see you or you will hear us in the next one. <laughs>